Well, apparently the home improvement shows are all the rage, and, and I guess probably have been for a long time, but I'm always slow to catch up with things, so had a little more recliner time lately, so I've actually watched a full episode of one of these home improvement shows uh, recently, and man, they're just, they're everywhere, so I just kind of started flipping down through the HGTV, you know, lineup, and it's like, well, you got flip or flop, fixer upper, Brother versus brother, property brothers, I guess they're so popular, they gotta have two shows, love it or list it, and, and vintage flip, and there's probably more, but apparently these are very popular, and they are quite entertaining depending on the personalities that, that are there, and the, uh, and the house that gets worked on. Revelation 2 and 3, beloved, is all about home improvement. The home being your Christian life and making it better than it is. Seven representative churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And they're all evaluated by the one who said, you remember what he said? I will what? Build. I will build my church. I will build my church. And so Revelation 2 and 3 is the master builder dealing with his church. In some cases rebuilding, in some cases Tearing out, adding on, whatever is needed. The master builder walks in to the church and he instantly knows where the termites are. He instantly knows whether there's mold behind a wall. Whether there's wood rotting in the ceiling. He knows all of this instantly because he is omniscient. Are there leaky pipes? He can hear them a block away. Is there outdated carpet that just simply must go? Is this home stuck in the 70s? I can tell you this, unlike Property Brothers and unlike made for reality television, there will be no surprises in this home improvement series. Because the one who does the improving knows all things about all churches. You can think of Revelation 2 and 3 then as a series of seven fixer-uppers. This is good. We'll keep it. We can work with this. This is ugly. It's got to go. It's got to get out of here now. As we said two weeks ago, your your house and my house are are represented here in Revelation 2 to 3. These are representative churches for the church of all time. So, beloved, today it is time for some home improvements. Part two. Let's bring up the recap slide of what we're looking at here in these seven churches, seven different cities. Laid out on a geographical postal route. And you see how representative they are. In Ephesus, they'd left their first love. Smyrna was fearful. Pergamum, doctrinal compromise. Thyatira, moral compromise. Sardis, they were asleep. Philadelphia was faithful. And Laodicea, just plain lost. So two weeks ago, we started a list This is by way of review because we've been through all of these in detail. And so we're doing a two-week summary review of these seven churches. And our approach is a diagnostic question that flows out of each church. So seven diagnostic questions for you and, and me to examine ourselves. And last time we looked at the first three of these. Ephesus had left their first love and so our question was, do I love Jesus? Our second question was, do I live in fear? 
And then finally, related to Pergamum's doctrinal compromise, do I read the Bible every day? And those were from two weeks ago, if you were with us. Today, we will be finishing up and looking at our final four questions in this series of diagnostic questions. So we come today to Thyatira, the church of moral compromise, and we ask this question. Well, you've got to ask the question to yourself. Do I fight my sin every day? Do I fight my personal sin every day? Look with me in chapter 2 of Revelation. And we'll read a couple of verses here from the message to the church in Thyatira. Beginning in verse 19, Jesus says, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So that's that's wonderful. That's great. He's not being he's not mocking them. He's not being sarcastic. Those are all tremendous things that they have going for them. These are things we'll keep around. Right. We'll enhance these. We'll we'll work with these. But now look at verse 20. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel. And so we're going to, she was an actual person there. That was not her actual name. But we're going to use this as a springboard to when you and I enter into a time of moral compromise in our life. When we tolerate the personal Jezebels that would seek to lead us astray, as this Jezebel did. She sought to lead the bondservants of Jesus astray, verse 20, so that they commit acts of sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. This is a problem, obviously, and it's something that we must deal with in our own hearts and lives. So we move then from doctrinal compromise of the previous church to moral compromise. For the previous church, I asked the question, do I read my Bible every day? For this church, I asked the question, do I fight my sin every day? And of course, the Bible is integral in that fight. Someone has well said years ago, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That is a great statement. That's one of those right down in the front of your Bible kind of statements, isn't it? This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Listen, if you and I are not in the book, if we're not delving into it on a daily basis, on a routine, regular basis, we will be prone to moral compromise. We will be. And we won't even know it's happening. It'll be a subtle fade. It'll be a slow drift. It will happen if we're not in the book. And the danger of it is not only is moral compromise dangerous in and of itself, but it's doubly dangerous when you're not even aware that it's happening in your life. And we're not aware unless we're in this book telling us what is true and what is false, what is sin and what is righteousness. We've got to be jerked back, jerked away from the world back to reality. And that has to happen, beloved, every single day of your life. Unless you're in a coma, unless you're going to sleep for 24 hours, you've got to be in the book. One verse, one chapter, one book, it doesn't matter. Feed on it. Or we're going to be prone to moral compromise. It's just the way it is. We're going to be prone to sins of the body like sexual sins and sexual lust. Sins of the body like gluttony, drunkenness, 
laziness, oversleeping. That's a whole category of sin, isn't it? Sins that we primarily commit with our body, our lower functions, we're seeking pleasure. There's also sins of the tongue that we'll begin to compromise on, like lying and slander and gossip and boasting and arguing and cursing and foul language. Those sins will begin to slip into our life. And there's also sins of the heart, like selfishness, self-pity, greed, anger. Those sins will begin to grow like weeds in a garden. We'll start to compromise with sins like being controlling, being arrogant, divisive, a busybody, spiritually proud even. You start comparing yourself to the standards of the Word of God. If you do that with honesty and with any sense of integrity, it's going to be hard to be spiritually proud. There's all kinds of other sins that we'll begin to compromise on if we're not in the book, if we're not being charged and exhorted and reproved and corrected on a regular basis. We might begin to sin like many often do. They become freeloaders at church. Freeloaders at church. What am I talking about? I'm talking about a member of a church who lets 20 percent of the people do 80 percent of the work. Or a member in a church who lets 20 percent of the people give 80 percent of the money. That's what we would call spiritual freeloading. And that's a sin because we're called to serve and we're called to give and we're called to be sacrificial in both. But we won't know that if we're not in the book. We'll just drift along comfortable in our own surroundings, comfortable in our own ways, and we won't be convicted and we won't be challenged. You're in the book right now by being at this church service and in this sermon and you are to be commended. I don't want to fuss at you. I'm not trying to lecture you. I want us to be convicted by the Spirit of God using the truth of God. The question then is, are, are we fighting? Are we fighting or are we compromising with our personal Jezebels? I use the word fight because that's the word the Bible uses. That's the, that's the concept Jesus used. He, he said, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. And if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. He uses violent, extreme, hyperbole kind of language to show us that this is a, a serious warfare going on. We must sell all. We can't be on a fence. We can't, we can't moderate with sin. We've got to be extreme. We've got to be violent. Think about our sin then as some of these houses that go on these shows, you know. And behind these walls, there's mold and there's termites and there's rot and there's mildew. And they get violent with that stuff, right? That's like the funnest part of the show is when they start tearing stuff up and tearing stuff out. And they make a big show of, you know, they, they take old toilets and they just like literally throw them out a door into a yard. And, and there's just a sense of noise and aggression and violence because these things can't be in my house. They have to be gone. And, though, and, and that's the way it is with our sin. I mean, look what's going on here in this passage. Jesus declares war on this woman, Jezebel. And he declares war on her offspring. He says in verse 22, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. As Jesus declares war here on Jezebel, so every believer must declare war on our personal sin. 
Now, the danger we fall into is we want to declare war on everybody else's sin. We want to declare war on our culture sin. We want to declare war on sins that we don't struggle with. And we want to make those the sinniest sins of all sins, right? We want to blow those up and say, how horrible, how wretched is that? All the while becoming hypocrites. All the while becoming people who are not fighting and dealing with their own personal sin. Tuesday is a day where we celebrate the Declaration of Independence. As a believer, our Declaration of Independence is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our Declaration of Independence from our sin. And now we are free to fight. We are free to go to war with these things that would cause us to compromise. And just like the war on terrorism... It never ends in this life. We've been 16 years in Afghanistan and there is no end in sight. And that is the illustration for you and me as we fight sin in our hearts. There will be no end in sight until you breathe your last breath or Jesus splits the sky. Imagine, if you will, a serial killer is on the loose in our community. And there have been many victims already. And there's actually been a composite drawing or some kind of video or some kind of picture has made it into the news stream and on social media. And so everybody in our community knows exactly what this person looks like. In fact, they've got a big distinguishing scar down the side of their face. And so this this image is blazoned on your brain. You cannot forget it. One day the doorbell rings, you walk to the doorbell, and it is the fugitive serial killer at your door. Now, you are not going to say to this individual who you recognize immediately, you're not going to say, we are so glad you stopped by. We have the guest room ready for you. Supper is on the table. Come in. Welcome. Join us for supper. I forgot one thing at the store. Can you watch the kids for just a minute? I'll be right back. That is so see that that the absurdity of that makes the point. That's what you and I do when we invite in personal sin and we embellish it and we let it live there and we feed it. And we care for it. The church at Thyatira is a church of moral compromise. Even though they had many good things going for them, they weren't fighting sin as they should. So your question number four of seven is simply, do I fight personal sin every day? May God give us the grace to do so. May God give us the desire to do so. May God give us the view of our sin as he sees it. Well, if you watch any of these shows, you know that a common theme in the home improvement world is to go into older homes that are severely in need of updating. (laughs) And this can be some of the most entertaining of these shows. Uh, They love to to make fun of some of the the shows that are kind of stuck in the 70s, if you will. That brings us to our next church and our next question. The church at Sardis was asleep. Chapter 3. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, you have a reputation, that you are alive, but you are dead. 
Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. So remember where you have what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. The question here from this church is this. I want you to ask yourself. Do I live in the past? Do I live in the past? Are you living off past deeds? A past reputation as a strong Christian? Are you living off past great sermons? Or great Bible studies? Or past ministry involvement? Something you did years ago? Or past witnessing that you did a decade ago? Is, is your Christian life kind of like shag carpet and dark paneling? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just stuck. I'm always looking back. Looking back. Instead of living in the now and living in light of the future. I'm stuck in the past. Are you living your life looking in the rear view mirror? Like the best is behind you? Are you longing for the glory days? You remember that song, Bruce Springsteen? What a great song, Glory Days. He goes to that song, one of the glory days as an athlete in high school. You know, he could throw the, he could throw the speed ball by you, man. And then the glory days of some old flame. And he gets to the end of that song and he just says, boring stories of glory days. Some folks are just living in the past, longing for the glory days of old. Unless you think I'm like trying to pick on the older generation, I'm not because this is not an age thing. It's not. I've seen 20 year olds who are stuck in high school and 30 year olds who are stuck in college and 40 year olds who are fantasizing about an old flame. This is a human condition. It's called nostalgia. And it's not in the Bible. It's a human condition where we long for the days of old instead of living in the now and living to the future. And it is a deadly disease. And I think Sardis had it. They were living on their past reputation. And Jesus says, wake up, work out and move forward, move forward. Look, when you're driving in your car, I hope that you spend most of your time looking out the front windshield. And every once in a while, you glance in the rearview mirror. You don't drive down the road fixated on the rearview mirror. But some people live their life like that. Look up, look out, look out to the future and every once in a while glance to see what God has done in your past. We are to remember the past, not live in the past. We are to remember the Lord's death. We are to remember the great acts of God. We are to remember the mile post along the way of God's faithfulness in our lives. That he has never failed us and he has never forsaken us. But I don't live back there because yesterday's quiet time is not going to feed me today. I went to sleep. I forgot what I read yesterday. Do I live in the past? Do I need some serious remodeling in my mindset?
Bloom where you're planted. Grow where God has put you. Instead of longing for the past and always being discontent and always looking over the fence and always wanting greener grass. Okay, this has happened. How do I deal with it? How do I cope with it? How do I move forward? Okay, I can't do this anymore. What can I replace it with? Learn from the past. Don't live in it. That brings us to our sixth question in our next church, which was Philadelphia. A faithful church, a wonderful church, only commendation. There's nothing here of any kind of rebuke of the slightest for the church in Philadelphia. They were the faithful in Philly. And as you look at this letter and as you ponder what's here, you begin to see that it is loaded with promises to God's faithful followers. And then as you plumb deeper into each and every promise, you begin to notice that they all have a common denominator. And the common denominator is they have something to do with the future. This is the church that is promised in verse 10 because it was conditional because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour, which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I believe that he's speaking there of the tribulation, the seven year tribulation that is imminent. It was imminent then. It's imminent now. He's speaking of that and he's saying to faithful Christians, if you keep the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from that hour of testing. In other words, I think this is a reference, not a not an ironclad promise, but a reference or allusion to the rapture. That we will be taken out of this time of testing that is going to come on the whole world, not a regional area of the world, to test those who dwell on the earth, which is code in revelation for unbelievers. That's the point of the tribulation. So if you sum all of that up, if you want to boil it down to a question, it's this from this church. Do I live in light of his return? Do I live in light of his soon and imminent return? Every promise is related to that in this letter of promises to this particular church. You see, this is how you and I, this is how we, this is how we keep our house current. We don't live in the past. We actually live in light of the future. We're, we're futuristic. We're, we're after the, the latest and the greatest, which is the return of Christ. Our mind is set there. We're mindful and constantly dwelling on what that will be like. I was laying in bed either this morning or last night just thinking about the rapture. It's like, wow, somebody's going to be on an operating table and their doctor is going to vanish. Or a doctor is going to be doing open heart surgery and the patient's going to vanish. What just happened? Or somebody's going to be committing a crime and the, and the cop who is, you know, about to arrest somebody or has somebody that he is arresting, the cop vanishes, you know. Can you imagine what that guy's, wow, I'm free, you know, take off down the road. I mean, it's going to be so bizarre and so unbelievable. The world is not going to know what to even begin to do with this. And it could happen in the blink of an eye before we're done today. We need to think about that. We need to think about it. Any moment in time, Christ could call me to himself. Am I ready? Well, those are the first six diagnostic questions. And 
And we could really draw a line right here. Let's let's bring up the last slide then of the list of questions, because you could you could really draw a line now right under number six, because they all have something in common. And what they have in common is that they are for Christians. One through six is for the believer to ask himself, do I love Jesus? Do I live in fear? Do I read my Bible every day? Do I fight my sin every day? Do I live in the past? Do I live in light of Christ's return? These are questions that Christians would care about, not an unbeliever. Uh, these are questions that that we should ponder and, and, and explore. Diagnostic for our own self-evaluation. When we come to the seventh and final question now, it changes. And to stay with our home improvement analogy, every once in a while, nothing is salvageable. Every once in a while, you've got to just tear everything out, including the foundation, and start all over. And that's our seventh and final question. The last question is for those who aren't even... Christians, where everything needs to be torn down and torn out because there's nothing in your life that is salvageable because you built your entire life on the wrong foundation. And the foundation is crumbling and cracking and it will not stand in the day of judgment. And so the question number seven is simply, do I need to come to Christ? Do I need to repent of my sins and actually put my faith in the Lord Jesus to save me and to forgive me? This is the letter to the church in Laodicea. Look at it with me in chapter 3. He says, I know your deeds. I know your activity. I know your busyness that you are neither cold nor hot. You're neither refreshing nor healing. I wish, I long, I desire that you are cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, because you are neither, you're tepid, you're nauseating, you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is violent. It's the, literal, the words vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth, out of my presence. Verse 17, here's the problem. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. And and then Jesus begins to invite them to himself to come to him for pure gold and white garments and eye salve that they may truly see. This is the gospel. This is the invitation. Verse 20. Look at this. Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This is Jesus pursuing a relationship with the lost sinner, with the wretched and the poor and the miserable and the blind and the naked. This is Jesus coming to that house Saying everything must go. We got to tear it down to the dirt. We got to get rid of even the foundation that you've laid for your life. A foundation of self-righteousness. A foundation of baptism. A foundation of I go to church. A foundation of I worked a soup kitchen. A foundation of I taught Sunday school. You got to tear out that foundation if you're depending on that to save your soul. That's got to go. And it's got to be replaced with Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is the foundation. That we build our lives upon. Everything must go. And in this letter, Jesus is inviting those who are blind to come to him for sight. And he's inviting those who are completely bankrupt to come to him for gold. And those who are covered in black garments of sin to come to him for white garments of righteousness. To die to yourself, die to your sin and say, I have no righteousness to commend me before God. But Jesus Christ does. 
and what he has, I want and who he is, I need. And so becoming a Christian is putting your faith and your trust and your dependence not on a plan, not on a denomination, not on a preacher, on a person, Jesus the Christ. Crucified, buried, risen, ascended, sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus says, all who come to me, I will accept. I will accept all who come to me in faith and in repentance. And so some of you probably need to ask yourself that question this morning. Maybe you thought you were a Christian. Maybe you've pretended to be a Christian. But really the question you need to ask yourself is, do I need to come to Christ? Actually, you need to ask that question of God. You need to ask God, do I need to come to Christ? And, and Lord, will you show me? Will you impress that upon my heart if that's where I am? And then you can begin to... Ask these other six questions of your life. Are they up there on the screen? There they are. So here's a couple of application suggestions as we close. Take one of these questions and make it your focus this week. And if you want to go that route, I want to just encourage you right now to write to write it down. You got a bulletin there. You got some space. Take the question that stands out the most to you, that penetrates your heart the most, write it down on your bulletin and say, I'm going to make this question my focus all week long. Okay, that's one application suggestion. Here's another one. And there's no reason you couldn't do both, but here's another. Get with someone in the church. Get with a brother or sister in Christ for discussion and prayer of these seven questions. Do so this week. Sit down with someone and say, let's talk about these. Let's open up about these. Let's pray about these. Let's share about these. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's fellowship over these seven questions. And if you want to go that route, I want you to write that name down right now in your bulletin. I want you to write a name down of who you want to try to get with this week. I don't see enough people writing anything down right now. This is kind of, <laughs> this is real. This is like application of the sermon, okay? I want you to take one of these, make it your focus. If you're going to do that, write down which one. Or if you want to talk about all of them or two of them or three of them with a brother or sister in Christ, write down that name and commit right now before God. I'm going to call this person. I'm going to text them. I'm going to email them. I'm going to get with them this week. We're going to have coffee. I'm going to have them over for a cookie, we're going to go to lunch, we're going to go to breakfast, something. We're going to do something this week and we're going to talk about, do I love Jesus? Brother, I need to just tell you, I'm living in some fear. I've got these fears in my life and here's what they are. And will you pray with me about those? You know, I have fallen off the wagon. I haven't read my Bible for a month. Let's be real. Let's connect. Let's be honest. Let's make disciples of one another. This is how you do it. We've got to get out of our cocoon, we've got to get out of our routine, we've got to get out of our comfort zone, and we've got to start addressing what discipleship looks like in the context of our day-to-day life. And we come back on Sundays and we celebrate what God's doing in our lives and in our church. And then we go Monday to Saturday and we work on our sanctification, we come back and we celebrate 
Let me ask you this question as I close. What would happen if all of us in this room committed to home improvement? (laughs) What would happen if we all, with great resolution, by the grace of God, committed right now this morning to personal home improvement? And became as focused on that as we do our literal homes? And our literal jobs and our literal cars. Let's pray together. Father, you've uh, given us a will. And you've freed this will by your amazing work of regeneration. We're new creatures in Christ. We have a new heart. We have the word of God. We have the church. We have the Holy Spirit. And we live in grace and not under the law. We're loved. We're cherished. <laughs> what, what else? What else would you need to do? We cast ourselves before you this morning as individuals and as a church. And we just pray, God, that we could be about home improvement this week. We would take these questions seriously. Not just as another sermon to file away but really an application of the living word of God to every life in this place. So we pray that by your grace that would happen. And we could come back next Sunday and have stories of triumph and stories of fellowship that God is at work in my life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.